Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, I can't wait for you to hear this interview with our guest today. Her name is Sue Fisher and she's from Michigan. She's currently 57 years old, but her health journey began about two years ago when she was 55. She got a pretty bad diagnosis from her doctor and she found that she had type 2 diabetes. At the time, her A1C was 12.5, which translates into an average blood sugar of 312, which is very high. So at that time, she immediately took control of her health and at the recommendation of her doctor, started on a keto diet. Shortly thereafter, she began fasting. Sue is someone that changes up her fasting schedule quite a bit and she gets into it in depth, but she does some daily fasting. She does some extended fasting. She likes to keep things interesting. She's got a really incredible story and I think you're gonna get a lot out of it when you hear it. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. So happy to have you here. I really loved your story when I saw it and I can't wait for you to tell everybody else about it. So before we get into that, do you wanna just give me a little quick intro about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm now 57 years old. So most of my journey uh, that we'll be talking about took place from the time I was 55 until now. I was born and raised in West Michigan. I am now up in the beautiful area of Traverse City near near that area, but was raised in the Grand Rapids area. And I have uh, two grown sons and a wonderful daughter-in-law. And I have the privilege of working in banking, which I enjoy. Oh, how nice. And and a photographer by passion. And this is a beautiful area to live if you love to do landscape photography. Oh, landscape photography, how nice. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good bit of background about you. So maybe you can just kind of take us back to the beginning when you started experiencing health issues. So I had been noticing a few things going on that I wasn't sure what was causing it. I was having my hands would be asleep when I wake up in the morning and would be tingling for a long time thereafter. And some things like that were, were happening and I was kind of ignoring it. I hadn't gone in for a physical and seven years. And then I started to have my heart racing. And it had happened once or twice for a short amount of time. And then one night I couldn't go to bed. I couldn't stay in bed because it was just racing like crazy. And I got up and waited a while and then laid down and got some sleep. And the next morning it was doing it. And I was at work and I decided at lunchtime to go home, pack a bag, shut my apartment down in case and go to the doctor's office and say, help me. And so that was the beginning of my journey. I had not met this physician before. I'd always see a PA. So it was new. We also found something in common. My mom died from a rare autoimmune disease and his wife had passed away from the same autoimmune disease. Oh. So I kind of felt linked to him in a way right then. 
but he ran blood work and you know we discussed a lot and a couple weeks later i got sent for blood work again they tried to do an a1c in the office and apparently my numbers were too high for that machine so they sent me again for the to the local hospital for blood work and i got called to come in for an appointment a couple days later and was told that i had type 2 diabetes and this was not I was 230 pounds and had, you know, yo-yoed up and down throughout my life. And I have a grandmother who had type two diabetes and had eventually lost both her legs and then her life to it. So to hear those words was scary, but I was incredibly blessed. And I realized how rare it is now, instead of telling me this is it and you're going to go downhill from here and here's medications. He told me to switch my diet to eating keto. And um, I actually tried to argue with him a little bit. And he did put me also on 500 milligrams of metformin. Is that but the starter my, dose for metformin or is that? Yeah, that's about as low as you get. I had okay. extended release and uh, yeah, my A1C, if I didn't say it yet, was 12.5. So it was quite high. I actually looked it up because I was curious to know what the conversion was to blood sugar and that's 312. So that's, that's very high. You must've been, and along with the tingling and everything, you must've felt really tired. Did you, did you have a lot low energy at you that know, point? I probably did, but it was a norm for me then, you know? So I, I don't really recall it so much. But yeah, so he did that. He also threatened me with the possibility of insulin for a short term. But um, he told me to do keto. I had friends that were doing keto that right away sent me a link to my first Facebook page. And so I just jumped in. I just, no hesitation. My first morning fasting blood glucose that I took was like 280, you know, a day or so later when I got my act together to start doing that. And, and it took me a few days to kind of convert the house and do all the shopping and start figuring out, but I did do my best immediately with it and jumped in from there. Did you, when you left the doctor, you had metformin, did you also get a continuous glucose monitor or were you just doing finger sticks? Just, he gave me just the finger sticks, the blood glucose, uh, not the continuous. So okay. I was just, and in those early days, I would just poke my finger once a day in the morning. And uh, I remember having read what the quote acceptable range was for a diabetic for, for fasting blood sugar. And it took me two weeks to hit that 130 number. It was exactly two weeks from when I started measuring. And I remember that, oh, yay. And uh, that number would horrify me today, but I was celebrating then. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's a huge improvement over the course of two weeks. So you mm -hmm. started with keto right away. And then, yeah. and, and I, you, did you do any other, you know, reading or anything that maybe brought you to, to fasting later? How did you discover fasting? Through my first Facebook page group I was with, which is called You Can Keto, a nice page. It was great for learning keto and people were mentioning it there. And I was reading a bit and I, I was starting to hear too about, you know, having success with their type two, but with the intermittent fasting, they were saying it sort of happens on its own. You'll know when you're ready. I think I pushed it because the first 
week or two, I did 16-8. I wanted to eat my hand by the time it was <laughs> the opening of my window. I was so hungry. But I adjusted to it. And then sure enough, I was ready to, you know, tighten that window up fairly quickly. But I was struggling to do 24 hours and while on the metformin. And I don't know how much was the metformin and how much was my body not ready to deal with really healthy numbers yet. I, I Today, I wonder. Back then, I blamed it on the metformin. So I had one follow-up visit like six weeks in with my doctor. And I was on, you know, weight was coming off and, and my numbers were coming down. And I mentioned to him the intermittent fasting and that I'd also started doing a bit of exercise, just walking. And I'd seen another incremental drop in my blood sugars. And he told me then that the fasting would give me, quote, better bang for my buck than the exercise would. And I thought, well, that was great. So at 90 days in, I had another A1C done and it was 5.5. I had dropped a full seven points in 90 days. And that was, you know, obviously my body was ready to heal. Everyone heals at different rates, but mine really busted it out a good one. And I literally danced into work that morning and was bragging to everyone. They, they made me a card to celebrate my A1C. It was great. Oh, that's a good story. Um, and you know, it's interesting too, that your doctor was really driving all of this. I mean, most doctors are just happy to give you a pill and get you out of there. Yeah. And, and that is not him. He told me at that next visit that his goal for me was to be able to say that my type two diabetes was resolved and not have me on any medications. Cause if anything else happened, he was going to have to start prescribing more medications. And I heard that and I stuck with the program. Well, you, so. you're a unique story because most people, I'm sure he's told people this before, and I'm sure that people have done nothing about it. You're probably one of the few patients he has that actually took it to heart and, and did something. He told me he's had other patients that will have some success. And then eventually they sort of fall off the wagon and that I'm the only one that took it across the finish line. And I did, once I had the A1C of 5.5, I told him I wanted to get off the metformin so I could fast more. And he certainly agreed to that. And I really, well, he also told me that my weight loss would slow down. And I thought that's not going to happen. So I, I really added in the extended fasting and I challenged myself and I did up to a seven day water fast. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah. tell me about what the metformin was. So I want to pivot back to the low blood sugars that you were having. Did you actually test and know that you had a low blood sugar or you just felt like you were low? I was, I'm sure I tested, but what they really were, I don't know. I don't remember anymore. Probably 70s and 80s, which is my norm today. I I go as low as 48 to 50 at times if I'm fasting now successfully without any issues. But yeah, so I'm not sure if they were true lows or it just felt low to me. But that was um, your, your indication that maybe you should start backing off on the metformin because it was interfering with your fasting. Yeah, I was, I was struggling to do 24 hours and I really wanted to, I wanted to do 36 hours and more. And so it, and it took me after I got off the metformin, I think I waited a week or two and then I still got nervous a couple of times before I actually, you know, did a full 36, 
but that was the most amazing feeling in the world to wake up the next morning having not eaten all day and realize, hey, it's okay. It's fine. And were you checking so, your blood sugars that whole time? Were you able to see? You must have off been just, and on. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little nervous, you know, the the first time. And so, yeah, I was watching it and everything was fine. I, no issues. And so, yeah, yeah. And that was in the early days. I didn't used to check very often. Now I'm a little bit of a data nerd with it. And I check and, and I learn a lot about what my body's doing. I'll check quite a few times a day. What, what have you um, learned from checking your blood sugar? Everything from stresses on me to what different foods will do. I was very strict with everything from the get-go. I, since listening to some of the different experts, carefully started trying things out like uh, sweet potato and found out I'm fine with it. But that was after a lot of healing had taken place. I didn't, I didn't, I stayed cautious for a long time, but I, and, and I got away from fasting for a while. I was kind of doing, you know, like an OMAD or two meals a day, just kind of watching, trying to decide when I was hungry. And, and then I was struggling a little bit. So I went back to some set days to fast just to get that appetite and, and blood sugar sort of reset and just nicely staying where I like it. So, so what, what brought you to kind of give fasting a little bit of a break where you just, and what, at what point in your journey did that happen? Do you remember? After I reached goal, goal weight. So I started at a, about 230 pounds and I first set a goal weight in my head without researching anything of 160. How tall are you? Like enough one, five, 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 six. Okay. So, okay. Measures. Mm -hmm. And so then I realized 160 was going to be too high after I did a little more research. So I had thought maybe 140 was about right. And then I asked my doctor what he thought. And he said, 130. I said, well, I don't know if my body will do that. And he said, well, okay, 140 is all right. So about 10 minutes after I left the doctor's office, I thought, well, I'll split the difference with him. <laughs> I'll go for 135. And I reached that about 13 months in. Okay. And then after I got there, I figured I might as well go for the 130 then. And um, so that's where I hang now. Did you have uh, any so plateaus along the way when you were, so you, you lost, you lost exactly really hundred pounds, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much exactly hundred pounds. Not really. And anytime I got close to even trying to plateau, I'd say time for another fast and I do three or five days. And the one thing I was really consistent on was change, change in the schedule of the meals and the schedule of the fast so that my body never could get efficient and adjust to it. It didn't know. Mm. So, so that kind of kept, kept things moving. So you would do different lengths of fast, but would you also change up the time of the day that you would eat? Would you eat in the morning and then eat in the evening sometimes, or you just yep. change up everything? Yep. I just changed. The only thing I stuck to was the low carbs and, you know, the, the type of food I ate stayed, but the, the fasting times and schedules, et cetera, changed constantly. Yeah, I, I usually do, I do OMAD and then I eat pretty much in the, mm -hmm. you know, like 10 a.m. to like 12, 30 or 1 o'clock. And I I find my body kind of rebels against me when I try to change it up. But I probably should try to change it up a little bit just to, you know, see if I'm sure it can handle it. It's just, you know, when you're as a type 1 diabetic, it's a little bit different because you have all these yeah. settings involved and everything. So it's a little bit harder. But I am kind of jealous of people that are able to, you know, change up their fasting schedule so much. That's really 
that's cool. And I've heard a lot of people break through plateaus that way. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see it, it makes sense, but it makes sense why you stay a little bit more steady with your schedule too. So, so you lost 100 pounds, 230 to 130. You were going to the doctor every few months at this point. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so he took you off the metformin around three months yeah, in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you were off to the races. You were able to do a more extended fasting. And then at yeah. some point you decided to give fasting a break. And then you came back yeah, to after fasting. I reached goal. And I, yeah, I, I really tried to do more intuitive eating. And so I'd stop due to that. And I'd, I'd have a day maybe once every two to three weeks that I'd do a full 36 hour fast. But that was that was about it. And then um I don't know. I'm I'm forever watching and watching my my body, my weight, my glucose, my appetite, everything, and trying new things. It's it's a constant learning process, and your body changes over time too. So, yeah, it wasn't long ago I was noticing I was starting to average more like 135 on the scale, and I said, okay, let's get this back to where it was. So I decided about two weeks ago to do two days a week of full full fasting until the end of February. And then I'll see where I am and how that went. Did you so, have to build up to those longer fasts or was it, I know you said like the, when you first started, you were struggling to make it to 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing longer and longer fast, you kind of do it incrementally or do you say, all right, this week I'm going to do, you know, a four day fast or something like that after having only done two days prior. Yeah. Once you get into more than a day or so adding days is no big deal. It's it's a mind game at that point. I, I think one of my first longer fasts, I think I found day three to be kind of hard. And then after that, it was just coasting. And you, you the hunger really does go away. And were you um, able to you, exercise and go to work and do all that other stuff while you were fasting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't doing wholehearted, hard exercise, just walks and stuff like that. But uh, again, I work in banking, so I work with my noodle all day long while I'm sitting. And it was no problem at all. As they say, you, you do start to get better focus while you're fasting and, and a bit less sleep, but you don't need as much. Your body's not busy digesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. The only real negative consequence was I get cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get cold too. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my who cares. Has, <laughs> yeah. My doctor has no sympathy when I complain. I'm, I'm cold. Yeah. I was like, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, is that your only complaint, you know? That's yeah, funny. exactly. Exactly. You know, but there's a lot of things I can do that I couldn't do before. So it's all worth it. I mean, I assume you, your story is interesting, too, because, you know, as women, we're told, oh, after a certain age, like, you can never lose weight. and Just accept the fact that you're going to be gaining weight and it's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And you lost all of your weight when you were 55 plus years old. Yeah. Post-menopause. Yep. Yep. And it has been no, there's been no issue. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. I, I, yeah, I, I lost quite quickly. In fact, I chuckle at people that say, oh, the slower, the better. And I thought, it depends on how you're doing it. it. You know, if you're restricting calories, as we know from the obesity code, yeah, maybe really, really, really slow is not such a bad thing because you're not dropping as much calories, you know, to put your body into that starvation mode. But with fasting, no, it just, you know, your body just goes after that stored fuel. And, you know, I, I made sure to get my electrolytes and, you know, and it was happy as a clam and it, it just went after that, that fat. 
That's that's amazing. So, so I mean, I assume at some other points in your life, you maybe had tried other diets or maybe not. I don't know. Oh, yeah. H- had you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From the time I was a teenager, I think I, you know, would have my cycles of up and down and I had lost weight. See, I lost a big chunk. I know after my second son was born and then, of course, gained that back and more, you know, the way that works. And then around the age 40, I, I dropped again and that was exercise and low fat and, you know the way we were all told to do it. And of course, as soon as I stopped, you know, eating that way and just ate again, it all comes right back. So the nice thing is with this, I know this is not a diet. This is a way of living. And there's, there's lines I simply don't cross. I don't get into the grains. I don't touch the sugars. I, that's not me anymore. I I won't do that. It's not worth it. Yeah, I see that from your story that that's something that you've had to work really hard with. Do you, maybe you can talk about some of the, the challenges you've had. I mean, have you ever kind of fallen off the wagon, quote unquote, with, with the keto aspect of the diet? No. You haven't, no. you've been doing keto straight. Yes, no, I, I have not. If I've gone over on carbs, it's too much of nuts or something like that. But I've not gone back to those other foods, not, not once. Okay. So that... Uh, Fear is very motivating. <laughs> do you still get cravings or you don't really even have those anymore? If I do, I'll go for the keto sweets now and then. I try not to because they can set me off and and they're they're not they're not worth it. I mean, a couple of bites is good, but after that, but I, I won't stop. I, I am when it comes to that kind of stuff, I'm a binge eater and if it's in the house I'm eating it and I'm eating it all quickly. Yeah, um, if I don't buy it, that solves that problem. Yeah. So speaking of how's your family and your friends been with your with your new eating protocol? Are are they supportive? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've not had any problems. In fact, there are other type two diabetics that are healing because they've seen or heard my journey and they're following suit. um, So that that helps. And you know, my coworkers are look at me once in a while if they're talking about getting lunch and they'll say, are you fasting or are you eating? And, you know, they understand. So I was given some treats at Christmas time by coworkers that thought, well, it's dark chocolate. It's okay. And no, it had sugar in it. And I gave it to other people because <laughs> no, I'm not going there. So no, that's, that's not been an issue. I guess it's both strength and willpower, although I guess at a certain point, it's not really willpower anymore because this is your new life and that's just the way it is, yeah, right? It's a new normal. It's a new normal. And, and I accept it. And once in a while, you know, something, a favorite treat will be by or, you know, and I'll look at it with a, a moment of longing. But I found for me, I allowed myself the, like when the first Christmas came along and I saw treats that I used to enjoy. And I allowed myself to remember what they tasted like and what they felt like in my mouth. And then that was it, because that was the part of the experience that I would have enjoyed. And I wouldn't have enjoyed what happened after I swallowed it. So I just did that and that was enough. And, and I was fine with that. Hmm. So it was okay. I do remember the first time a coworker made microwave popcorn near me. That was always one of my favorite treats. And I about climbed the wall that day, but now I can smell it and it's just another smell. So are you, are you doing clean fasting 
when you fast? Sometimes I, I, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I'll completely clean fast. Sometimes I may throw just a little heavy whipping cream in my coffee that morning and say, eh, it, it really depends. I'm not, I don't say no to myself as much on, on things like zero calorie, like the flavored bubbly type stuff, or if I really, really want it fine. And if I'm feeling like I can just stick with fuzz, fizzy water, then, then I do that. You don't find that to be, it does, none of that stuff really triggers hunger for you. It does for me. That's why no. I had, I had to completely give it up, but it doesn't do that for you. No, it, it, it doesn't. My coffee nine times out of 10 is black, but sometimes I get the flavored beans and again, they don't seem to trigger me. I I've checked my meter and they don't seem to cause any rise in glucose. So I, I don't mind that. So yeah, I, I kind of am lucky that way, I guess. I know some people it does trigger. Yeah. As a type one, sometimes I have to treat low blood sugars and it always annoys me when I do number one, cause I, I'm breaking the fast. And then number two, cause it often triggers hunger. You know, if you're eating something like I'll eat like a glucose tablet or a gummy bear or something like that. And it's just like, mm -hmm. you're really just white knuckling it till you can like get your body to settle down again, but you can do it. Even, even if you are quote unquote dirty fasting, or even if you're a type one and you have to eat something when you're fasting and it triggers hunger, I mean, the mental part of it will push you through to the other side. Right. If right. you let it. Yeah. 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 So your A1C went from 12.5 to 5.5. And then where does it stand three now? Months. Yeah. It's in the mid, mid fours. At one year, I was 4.4. And then a year later, that was a year later, uh, 4.7. So hanging around those mid fours. Okay. So you're not even in the pre-diabetic category anymore. You're completely... No. No. Yeah. I'm down in a, yeah. In a range lower than most healthy people. And I've been watching once I came to understand how to watch the lipids and the triglyceride by H HDL ratio, the highest I knew of, and I wasn't tested at the time I got sick. So I had seven years ago, but I had a ratio then of like 4.3. And then six months into this way of eating, I was at 2.8. And then the next one was 2.0 and the last one was 1.65. So really Amazing. good healing going on. Speaking of healing, did your, you know, I, I assume that you had, when you were complaining about the tingling in your hands and everything, I assume you had some sort of diabetic neuropathy potentially going on at that point. Has that resolved? Yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, that that's long gone. I, I don't even remember when, when that went away. It must've been one of the first things to go away. Yeah, there was, you know, the heart racing and, and that and uh, some of the other minor symptoms, you know, you can smell the sweetness when you're using the bathroom and things like that. And uh, all that went away within, you know, the following weeks or so after diagnosis. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm relieved. I've got uh, a cousin with type 2 right now that is looking for a heart transplant because he didn't stay on it and take care of it. So, you know, these things take you to very serious places if you don't take them seriously. Yeah, it's true. And, yeah. you know, with the type one and the type two, like I always say, like when they give you your diagnosis, they might as well diagnose you with 30 other things at the same time, because all right. of these diseases kind of travel together. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, the better you can control it, for type ones, if you control your diabetes, you're going to head off complications in the future. Like I've had already a number of complications myself, but as I get my blood sugars under better and better control, hopefully I can 
ward off any future complications. And with type two, if you can get it under control, then you can avoid the same thing, future bad diagnoses, which oh, are yeah. bound to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I'm, I'm very relieved. And, you know, I found Dr. Jason Fung because a coworker of mine who I turned to for that I knew did um, keto and fasting, she brought that book and I think life in the fasting lane in with her or the complete guide, whatever that was into work and brought it, you know, to me to borrow. And the book, the obesity code sat by my chair for several weeks. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know? And then one day I picked it up. Okay. That was a game changer. I was on the right path, but for me, it's so important to understand the why. And there it was all laid out. It was amazing to read it and to understand. It really helped me, I don't know, give me more resolve as to what I was doing. And I have recommended that book to so many others that, you know, have begun their healing because they read it and understood. And, and it got to the point where I eventually bought a hard copy of it myself. I got an ebook copy, but then I got a hard copy for one reason, to loan it out. And it's loaned out right now, and I hope it's helping other people in their journey. Yeah, that's a really good so, book. Yeah, he's written a yeah. number of really good books, and I picked up Jim Stevens' Fast Feast Repeat. That's how I got mm -hmm. started. I bought. Yep. I have that as so well. Many copies. Yeah, that's such a good, easy way to get started. I think if I had picked up Dr. Jason Fung first, maybe I would have struggled a little bit. Jim is kind of like, you know, her approach is a little bit more casual, I guess you could say. She definitely goes yeah. into the science and refers to Dr. Jason Fung, but she's maybe a little bit more relatable, but I agree mm -hmm. with you hundred percent. Once you understand the science behind it, then you're just, your brain really gets mm -hmm. on board with what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's so many experts out there that we have access to through the internet, through YouTube and et cetera. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan, big, huge fan of Dr. Robert Cyrus, the, the uh, carb addiction doc. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, he's been right more than he's been wrong with me. Once in a while, I'm kind of hoping he's wrong and it's usually proven right. So I've learned a lot through him and Dr. Ken Berry too, you know, and Dr. Mindy Peltz, you know, there's so many out there. I'm working on why we get sick by Ben Bickman right now. You know, who knew, who knew how much our, our food was affecting us, what we were eating and when we were eating and and all the things that the chronic illnesses that are stemming from that. It's mind blowing. Yeah. You're really a, a good student on this topic. You have read a lot of these books. So oh. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I listen to podcasts constantly and read the books. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with it all. It's like one of my favorite topics and, uh, and I'm thrilled to, to know it and be able to pass it along. You know, I've got friends with autoimmune disease as well say, look into this, you know, see what you think it's, you know, it's your decision, but it's worth at least, you know, brushing up on the concept of this. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you know, it, the fasting plus the dietary changes, they really go hand in hand to, to heal your body. Mm -hmm. And you, mm -hmm. you mentioned something sort of interesting before, and I read a Facebook post of yours about you had a, an issue with eating too many carbs or a carb addiction and maybe binge eating around that. Obviously that's been resolved now, but do you want to speak to what that was like in your prior life and then how that sort of morphed into how you were able to eat now? Well, in, in my prior life, I don't remember so much the binge eating because I just ate what I wanted and 
you know, if I, if I wanted a bowl of ice cream, I had a bowl of ice cream. So it more came into play or I noticed it a lot more now where suddenly I'll just want to eat. And I'm usually looking, you know, I, I don't overeat on steak. I'm not, you know, getting into too many cans of sardines. I'll notice, you know, cheeses and nuts and almond flour or flaxseed or those kind of things. And I'll go above and beyond where I figure I should be. And it, it's still, it, it always is a struggle. I try to, you know, I've implemented a few rules like eating has to be done at the kitchen table and things, things like that. And a lot of the foods that I binge eat on, I simply can't keep in the house because if it's here, then it's available. So there's a few things around, but not near as much. And it's, it's going better. And the fasting generally helps reset that appetite too. So it's always a work in progress. Yeah. But uh, I feel like I have a little bit, not a little bit, I'm definitely a major carb person and I definitely am prone to binging. But I think that, and maybe you can say if this has been the same experience for you, fasting sort of gives you like a superpower of self-control because you know you're you're waiting constantly waiting till when you're going to eat again and it's not a matter of am i going to eat this keto friendly thing or am i going to eat this piece of cake it's just like am i eating right now or am i not eating right now and if you can make the one decision no i'm not eating right now then you're building up your self-control muscle and i feel like that helps Mm -hmm. with when your window actually does open up and you are eating you're able to control yourself a little bit better did you notice that at all Sometimes that works for me. And sometimes uh, it's just like, no, I I'm eating. This is an eating time. And instead of stopping when I probably should, I, I don't, and I, I haven't totally understood, but now I just make sure that when it does happen, it is always on highly nutritious foods and not anything too calorie dense. But as long as I keep that out, I do good. So uh, my binges tend to lately, if they're going to happen, they tend to involve a, a little bit of cheese eggs and, and sometimes flaxseed because that's the only one of those kind of binding foods that's in the house. But again, I look at it and I said, there's something in there for my body. You know, there's nothing, there's no garbage involved. And so that makes me at least, you know, not, uh, not regret it as much. And I think it does boost me into the next days, you know, and, and, and I actually had the other night, I was out to dinner with my kids and I had ordered a nice, um, nice steak at a steakhouse and it was 12 ounces and I think I ate about eight ounces of it and I said you know I'm done and I was just thrilled that I'm starting to really listen to the body and and know and and that was even knowing I was going to fast all the next day and I still knew I'm like no I'm, I'm really I'm done I'm good I like that you know and Jen Stevens always says eat your what you're currently hungry for not for future hunger and I like that. Mm-hmm. You had eight ounces and you're like, that's enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll worry about the rest yep. of it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a Facebook group that I'm in for reversing type two diabetes. And it's been interesting too, because there's a, a post that goes up every day where people put in their morning blood sugars and it's a nice way of supporting each other and holding each other accountable. Well, there's not too, and people will note if they're not on any medications as well. And so I'm one of those and I'm, I'm in the minority, maybe 20% of or so of us. Well, after a day of fasting, yeah, my numbers will be often in the fifties or low sixties and I get people worried and I'm like, no, I'm fine. In fact, I'm going to go exercise now. 
<laughs> so you really don't feel it at 50 or 60. You don't feel like you have a low blood sugar. Nope. Interesting. Nope. Yeah, I start no, to get nope. shaky around there. Right, right. But you've got insulin in your system, whereas mine is, you know, self-regulating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you think about it, and I, I try not to preach to the group, but, you know, I'm like, if people that were healthy died after a day of not eating, there wouldn't be too many people in this world. It's okay. That's what the body is meant to do. It'll regulate. And as long as I feel okay, I'm good with it. Yeah. And you but, know what? Um, you bring up an important point because I mean, how many people regularly test their blood sugar if they don't have diabetes? Not that many. So there's probably right. a bunch of people walking around with 50 and 60 blood sugars and they just don't even know it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, as long as I'm feeling good, then, but I don't do, you know, many multiple days these days. I can, you know, a 36 or a 42 and I've kind of had enough. And then, you know, I eat for a couple of days and then then maybe, you know, do my next one, depending on the schedule. So do you normally, I mean, I know you like to change things up all the time, but when you have eating days, do you usually stick to like a one meal a day or do you sometimes do two meals or you just, whatever you feel like doing? I'm usually doing, I'm usually doing two. Once in a while, one is enough and I'm just not hungry after that. And if that's the case, then that's what I do. But quite often it's, I'll eat something in the morning before I go to work and then bring something at work. I also keep sardines and kippers and things like that in my drawer. So they're handy. And um, so that's usually it. And I try not to, I like to have my meals usually earlier in the day and not after work, but occasionally I do. I so like I'm, that too. I'm kind of flexible with it. Why do yeah. you like the, the morning eating window versus later? I like, well, a lot of it is because I tend to go to bed early too. And if I don't get home until five or later, and I'm in bed quite often, 7.30 or 8, it's just too close to bedtime for me. And so I, I tend to get up at 4. If I'm going to eat, I'm usually eating around 6.30 or 7. So I've already been up for a few hours, usually worked out for 30 minutes or so, and it, it just works out well. So it, you know, sometimes I regret it in that I don't often have as much time to, to cook something if I want to be a little fancier, but... I tend to be very simple with my meals. I've been eating a lot more carnivore, so cook my meat and add some kind of fat to it and I'm good to go if I if I need more. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, there's something else I really wanna to talk to you about because you've been at this for so long. You've been doing this for two years, two plus years at this point, and you made years, it to yeah. goal like a year in essentially. It's slightly over a year to go away, yeah. Slight, okay, so you've been at goal for plus or minus a year, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And you lost a significant amount of weight. It wasn't like you lost 10 pounds and you've been keeping off 10 pounds. You lost a hundred pounds. What's the mental aspect been like for you? Do you worry about regaining it? Do you worry that you're going to fall off the wagon? Or are you just so solid in your knowledge that this is your life and that you, you feel totally comfortable with where you are? Oh, no, I, there's concern. And it's not a matter of falling off the wagon. It's just overeating in general, you know, and and I mentioned I'm, I'm a little bit of a data nerd. So I'm on the scale a few times a week. I watch that and I'm watching my blood sugars and I'm just, you know, work to kind of hold myself accountable and, and to watch that stuff and just keep things under control. And, and that's where the fasting becomes such a powerful tool when I need it. Like I said, I started to level just a little bit higher and I said, no, we're not going to do that. And I just increased the fasting just gently to, to two days a week. And you know, that, 
that's so doable. <laughs> you know, that's not hard. So, yeah. 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 No, I think I will always have to kind of be diligent about it. That makes sense. I mean, it's much easier to be diligent about this than letting yourself regain the weight and then have to deal with type two diabetes right. again and all the other health issues that you were facing. It's just given two choices, you're obviously picking the one that's probably the easier choice, which is to just maintain where you are. Right. Right. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm determined to stay where I am and to keep those. I don't know what's more important to me, the weight or the blood sugars, but they're sort of tied together. So uh, I watch them both and, and make sure they stay, stay where they need to be. And yeah. Yeah. That's an important point. The weight and the blood sugars are very, very closely tied. I noticed that in myself too, when I was up at my higher weight, I needed a lot more insulin. And when you have more insulin in your system, then you end up having to eat more because you end up with low blood sugars and on a roller coaster and all your hunger is triggered. And then when you're at a, a lower, steadier weight and you keep food out of the picture for large portions of time and your blood sugar is just naturally more stable and you're, it's just, it's mm -hmm. just easier on your body to have it that way. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right mm -hmm. that the blood sugars and the weight are totally linked. Speaking right. of blood sugars, obviously you've reversed your type two diabetes and a couple other health issues. What non-scale victories have you been able to, to achieve? I hear all kinds of non-scale victories. I'm sure you have some. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the first time I, I, was riding in a uh, pickup truck with a friend and I dropped my mask on the floor. It fell to the floor and I managed to bend over and pick it up. And I thought, well, wait a minute, that didn't used to be, I couldn't do that. I still find myself when I'm at work and needing to file something in a lower file cabinet, I sort of still hesitate because, you know, bending over and breathing like that were kind of challenging and, and I keep forgetting it's no big deal now, <laughs> you know, it's fine. Yeah, your body so, can move so much yeah. more now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and I, I enjoy working out. And I've gone from, I used to walk a lot, especially when this first started and COVID was at its complete shutdown of everything. And so getting out and walking was great. And then cold weather came along and I discovered weighted hula hoops and hula hooping for exercise. And, you know, I could do that in my living room and something on television to watch and music and, and I was good to go. And now I'm using workout videos and, and having fun and finding, finding my body again. It's, Does the hula hoop uh, fall off? I've been thinking about that. And I'm like, I don't know if I can, I'm not okay. coordinated. <laughs> no, I'm not either. And the original exercise was called swing it. It fell, bend over, pick it up. That was the exercise repeat a lot. And it probably took me at least, I hate to say it, probably two months before all of a sudden it's like the muscle memory kicked in. And so now I can, I, if I'm not trying to, you know, move around funny or something, I can easily keep it going for half an hour and that works. In fact, I brought, because over time I kept blaming it on my problems on the hula hoops I had bought. So I have a few. So I brought one into work and I will hula hoop on my lunch every now and then just because I can move and, and I don't take up much room and I don't bother anyone and it's convenient. And oh, at least it. it gets the heart going for a little bit after sitting all day. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I want to try that. Oh, I, I recommend, I've got a coworker that's bar borrowing one of mine right now to try it out. Oh, that's fun. So, and yeah. you're, I'm just looking at you, you have very nice luminous skin. I looked at when you were heavier and to now, I mean, you look a lot younger now. Have you noticed that you just feel like your skin is more taut and more youthful looking? 
Yeah, to, to some degree. I think part of it too is I've leaned a little bit more into the carnivore way of eating. And so you're getting wonderful things for your skin when you eat that way. And I think that that's helped, but good genetics as well. But yeah, I've had, I've had people comment and that's kind of nice. I, I don't mind that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably one of those things so. you don't even realize yourself because you live in your body every day. But if right. I look at your before and after pictures, I can see it. Definitely. I actually had, because, you know, majority of my weight loss ha happened during COVID and I live a couple hours away from my family and some of my friends that when I saw them finally, after all this, some simply, they either mistook me for another family member or just had no idea who I was for, for a few moments. And which is, it's both fun, but I got to tell you, it's actually mentally exhausting. You know, I mean, you're used to people that, you know, knowing you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was kind of funny, but you know, I also understood the victory of it and was glad for that, you know? Yeah. So. I was going to take that out of the non-scale victory and put it into a non-scale failure if nobody can recognize you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is different, but yeah, you know, it's, it's well worth it. I, I don't mind. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Inevitably, when I do any postings of, of my journey, then women will start asking about things like loose skin. And I'll say, you know, sure, especially where I was disproportionately large, that's where I tend to have it. But I call it my trophies because I'll take some of that over what I used to look like any day of the week, you know, and it, it just is. But I figure once I'm in my clothes, nobody knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you look great. Yeah, you look me. great. And you've had, I mean, the success you've had is just downright incredible. And I know, like you said, your doctor is using you as an example for his other patients yeah. to, to inspire them. And, yeah. and your doctor is a really great doctor. It, it's so rare to find a doctor that's completely on board, not only on board, actually told you that this is the way to do it. So it sounds like you have Oh yeah, we've, we've talked and, you know, he says it's, it's sad for him and frustrating that he can't send his patients to a nutritionist because they'll tell them to eat, you know, several times a day and 30 carbs, you know, per meal. And, you know, that's, that's insane, but there's so much of the, the health profession is behind in understanding this and how to, you know, how to treat it. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, he's, he's not one of them. And I've said to him so many times, you have no idea how jealous people are that I have you for a doctor that you did this. I said, you're rare and I'm so grateful. Yeah. Is he, is he an endocrinologist or is he a primary care physician? No, oh, he's just, he's an osteopathic he's primary care. Okay. Wow. Um, I mean, and he, he, yeah, he never sent me to an endo. He, you know, and I live in a, in a small town in Benzie County, Michigan, and it's, it's tiny. And yet to get a gem like that to treat you was just, I, I am just so grateful because I realized what could have happened. And I've heard the stories of many who didn't get a good doctor and, you know, spent years going down the wrong path until they found, found this way of eating. Yeah. You were really lucky to, to find him. Did he, when he treated you initially, did he recommend any books to you or you found those all on your own later? He did recommend one book, a, a beginner's guide to, to keto. And I don't even remember now who the author is. I, I got it, but to be honest, I found as much information online that that book didn't, didn't do a whole lot for me. It just kind of told you how to eat keto. So yeah. And a lot of what they, you know, say the traditional keto eating people do 
I, I wouldn't do because a lot of them are buying processed foods and they've got to sweeten their coffee and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I don't do that. I don't recommend it, but yeah, you're more of a natural. Yeah. You're more of a natural type food instead of like a more processed. Cause I guess you can do it one of two ways. Yeah. You can do the processed keto foods or the more natural mm -hmm. shopping in the aisles of the mm -hmm. grocery store type ways. Yeah. 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 And, and I, yeah, I prefer to keep it simple. I'm not going to say that, you know, the craving for chocolate doesn't hit once in a blue moon, but overall I avoid it and try to stay with the good stuff. Yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you telling your story and before we come up on time, maybe you can just, if there's anything you want to say to somebody who's, you know, pre-diabetic or type two, just got diagnosed, put yourself back to the point, you know, two years ago when all this started for you, what, what would you tell that person after you've learned everything you've learned on, on your journey? <laughs> just start making changes as, as you can get those, get the snacks out, get rid of those grains by all means, or, you know, the, any of the high sugar items and don't assume just because you were told it was at one time healthy that it really is. I used to love fruit and I do look at those, a bowl of apples and I think, oh, that's a bowl of sugar bombs and, you know, view things, view things differently. But I also make sure people realize if they're going hungry when they start doing this, they're they need to increase what they're eating, get their fats up, get some more proteins. Don't, don't go hungry. I mean, yeah, we're working to, you know, ignore some, some hunger when we're fasting, but that's different. And that'll come in time, you know, if you want to go into that, but you don't need to. And boy, you can feel so much better. And I'd rather eat this way, make my food choices at the store than have to go to the pharmacy any day. And, you know, and know that that I don't have to, this isn't a, a downhill slide that you can turn it the other way and, and have good health. Because for the type two anyway, we know that it's caused by what we eat, so it's healed by what we eat and when. That's a super powerful message and you're living proof that it can be done and you took your health back, which I commend you for. And it's been a real pleasure speaking to you about it. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you asked. It's, it's a passion of mine and I love to spread the message because I want other people to know that they can heal, that they can yeah. do it. it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not unique that way. We all have the ability. We'll heal at different rates, but we will heal. Well, thank you so much, Sue. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.